uh, how much of your game or your performance do you think is mental? And um, it's interesting because the younger an athlete is, the less they think it's it's a mental game. Um, but when you start digging into elite performers like Michael Jordan, if you're old like me, or LeBron James, right? Um, uh, you you begin to realize, and if you ask elite performers, um, players uh, in the NHL, if you ask them what percentage of their game is mental, usually you get an answer of 70% or higher. And what's fascinating is most athletes spend tons of time training their bodies, like tons of time. When you ask them what percentage of their time do they spend training their body, they'll say, you know, 90%. How much time do you spend training your mind? 5%, maybe 2%, right? Um, so there's a huge gap there in, in a lot of athletes' um, development because they haven't spent a lot of time training their mind because they don't think that they can. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We have a familiar guest with us. He was on our podcast last year. We brought him back, Dan Leffelar. How are you, Dan? How's it going? I'm great. You gave me coffee, so I'm really good. Yeah, we got coffee. (laughs) I gave you a bit of a cold boardroom this morning. Our heater, our heat is broken right now. So other than that, we are, we're moving forward with this podcast. So Dan, for those of those of our listeners who don't remember, you are a mental performance coach with Novus Global. Yeah. You are a partner and managing director, but kind of touch on what that means quickly. Like, who are you and what yes. do you do? Yeah. So uh, n- not to make it too lengthy, but um, yeah, so I'm the I'm the managing director and I'm a partner at Novus Global. It's a firm, a coaching firm based in uh, Los Angeles, California, but we have coaches in Australia. Um, we have coaches in Europe. Uh, we have one which training in South Africa actually right now, which is pretty cool. And then a bunch in North America. So I'm one of the partners there. Um, and our company focuses on elite performers, uh, high performers that want to find the next level. Um, so we work with all types of people, all types of organizations. Um, some of our partners focus uh, more towards an executive space. And, and um, I'm actually uh, kind of halfway between. So half of my clients are professional athletes. The other half of my clients personally are corporate executives or business leaders. So, um, but our coaches, uh, many of our coaches have a, a nice variety of types of clients and that there's about five coaches, four or five coaches currently who work with different types of athletes. So, um, I predominantly work with NHL players and hockey, uh, as well as equine, um, connected, uh, athletes. And then we've got a couple other coaches who work in football some who work with equine and then a few others who do hockey with me too. So, yeah. So kind of as a generalization, how would a mental performance coach work with and help an athlete succeed? Yeah. So that's a great question. I always ask athletes, um, whenever I'm talking to them, uh, how much of your game or your performance do you think is mental? And, um, it's interesting because the younger an athlete is, the less they think it's, it's a mental game. Um, but when you start digging into elite performers like Michael Jordan, if you're old like me or LeBron <laughs> James, right. Um, uh, you, you begin to realize, and if you ask elite performers, um, players, uh, in the NHL, if you ask them what percentage of their game is mental, usually you get an answer of 70% or higher. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is most athletes spend tons of time training their bodies like tons of time. Yeah. They're in the gym all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and when you ask them what percentage of their time do they spend training their body, they'll say, you know, 90%. How much time do you spend training your mind? 5%, maybe 2%. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a huge gap there in, in a lot of athletes, um, development because they haven't spent a lot of time training their mind because they don't think that they can. Um, and often I work with athletes who are, uh, struggling or frustrated because, you know, certain thoughts or certain performances seem to be 
um, thrown off, not because they didn't have muscular strength or because they hadn't trained properly or in, or in the case of equine athletes, because their horses aren't ready. It's because they're not ready, mm-hmm. mentally not ready. So there's a huge, uh, upside. And if you start, there's a lot of literature, you can find tons of books written on this yeah. by practitioners and, and sports psychologists. Um, uh, and some are great and some aren't. <laughs> and so, um, sifting through that, um, and finding the right fit for uh, an individual athlete is a bit of an art as mm-hmm. well as a science. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I picture with hockey in particular, you're your own athlete, but then you're also working with a team. You know, there's a coach. Yeah. In the horse world, you're utilizing, you know, an animal to help yeah. you win, but there's yeah. also generally a training barn, a trainer, a group of people that you're with all the mm-hmm. time. So there's a lot of similarities there between kind of the two sports or any sport, really. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So, so kind of an athlete will come to you and they're struggling. They feel that they could be doing better, but yeah. they're not. Uh-huh. kind of where does the coaching space go from there? Yeah. So we, we start with, um, one of the first questions we ask is what's your vision? And what we mean by that is what do you, ultimately, what do you want to be able to create for your career? Now in our, in our coaching, uh, um, framework, we, we, we talk about something called meta performance. And I think I talked about this the last time uh, we chatted about this, but basically most high performing athletes are committed to being the best um, and I'm actually, I'm finishing an article on this, uh, for athletes specifically. And, and eventually when it's done, I'll make sure y- you can link to it. Helps that it. you're prepping it too with this I podcast, know, yeah, yeah, really exactly. getting you in the mental space <laughs> to <laughs> write this. Exactly. And, and this is, what's interesting is I think a lot of athletes and teams prioritize winning over learning. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. So what ends up happening is if you're not winning, if you're a, if you're a textbook high performer in our in our book, we we define a high performer as someone who's committed to answering or following the question, "How do I be the best?" And being the best has to do with other people, mm-hmm. and comparison, and where you are in the standings as it relates to other people. Now, is there something wrong with that? No, but there is something destructive about focusing on that before focusing on the process of learning to get better. Mm-hmm. And so what an, an example of this is um, Tiger Woods. Uh, now, <laughs> we might all be... The, all the drama side. Yeah, exactly. The true let's, golf athlete. Let's ignore the, let's the, ignore the, the personal side. The tree and the, exactly. yeah, um, the golf club or whatever it if, was. Exactly. If, if, <laughs> yeah, we won't go into that. The ex-wife. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and there's actually, it's funny, as a mental performance guy, there's, there's some interesting parallels there, but we won't get into that. Um, but... He, he along, and you'll notice this in other athletes uh, throughout different sports, after he won several major competitions, he did this, I think, three times, he completely rebuilt his swing, hmm. which makes very little sense. Because he's on top. Yeah, you're on top. Why would yeah. you do that? Um, you're, it works, right? And so most athletes, that's their mentality. It works. I just keep doing this. If mm-hmm. I get, Once I'm on top, well, he did it because... He wasn't, it wasn't that he was obviously committed to being on the, on the, the top of the, po- the podium. That was mm-hmm. most important for him. But um, what was even more important was a continued development of his game. Mm-hmm. He was committed to learning. He was committed to, to growth and process and progress. He wanted to get better, even more so that he was willing to risk, you know, performing really well by rebuilding something that had already worked. Mm-hmm. That's a very different mentality. And, um, I have, I have discovered the more I work with very high performing athletes, um, uh, in my current roster, I've got, uh, a Stanley cup champion, won two cups, a former team captain. I've got uh, a numerous, a couple other guys who've won Stanley cups. And it's really interesting to talk to them about the players that they played with who were all stars and their mindsets and their own personal mindsets as they played 
in in uh, in hockey particularly and even in in uh, the sport of, of equine and competition you you have you when you look at those competitors who just seem to be so consistently dominant um, what you often find is a high level of competitiveness absolutely yeah. but beyond that they're constantly hungry to get better mm-hmm. and they're willing to risk you know looking like a fool for a moment so that they can look like a phenom forever um, mm-hmm. And that's that's part of the game, and that's attention. So meta performers, they focus on how could, what am I capable of? That question, what am I capable of? And the only way you can explore what you're capable of is if you're willing to look where your gaps are, and you're willing to really pull like layers back and get into the details of um, of where things can be rebuilt and taking those risks, uh, and being willing to be comfortable with that because most of us aren't comfortable with talking about where we stink. Mm-hmm. In fact, we want to Especially avoid Especially if you that. feel like you're already doing good. And that's the problem with high performers. Because yeah. a high performer, if they're at the top, well, who, like, I'm at the top. Who are you to tell me where I need to mm-hmm. grow? And, but have you ever, I think, Louisa, you would, you would probably agree with this. And most listeners on the podcast, have you ever seen somebody who's at the very top of their game, but you still see gaps? Oh, yeah. All the time. And then you try to give them feedback. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, who the hell are you to talk to me about? Like, I'm at the top. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how becoming becoming a high performer and staying there is so dangerous because you end up being resistant Mm -hmm. to the feedback that you might need that would take you to that next level. And Tiger Woods rebuilding a swing. He's not doing that alone. No, there was trainers, there was coaches, there was was simulations. Yeah. And it's fascinating how often I meet athletes who are, who are, and it's a process. This takes time, but, um, who are resistant to the very people who could give them exactly what they need to get better. And they're resistant because of those internal conversations that um, keep us in survival mode, that want us to look good or feel good. So we resist conversations about our gaps just naturally. We mm-hmm. kind of default that way. And so I work with athletes to press into that, mm-hmm. to get used to what we, we use this phrase, to get used to hugging the cactus. You know, it's like, because it's nobody, I, I don't know, even myself, I had this conversation with my CEO and uh, I was telling you this before we got started, right? Um, uh I don't love hearing about where my gaps are. No. Naturally. I've learned to love that. It's taken a lot of time. Um, but the the more you can the more you can um, step into that conversation, the faster you learn. Mm-hmm. And this is the one thing I've I've talked about in hockey and it applies to every sport. The team that is hungry to learn and get better scares me more than the team that's wants to win. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you get a whole team of athletes or individual performers who are hungry to just constantly, whether it's a win or a loss, if they have a W or if they win the championship, they're like, okay, where's the gaps to get better? And they love that conversation. That scares me. Mm-hmm. If I was a competitor, if I was, if, I, I was, if I was up against that person, I would be, I would be terrified <laughs> because mm-hmm. if they're committed to just constantly refining, they're on the leading edge of their performance. Rather than trying to protect kind of that that number one position, yeah. So it is a tension, and I'm not saying competitiveness is a bad thing because it's not. It's what drives me. It drives many of us. But learning, growing, being committed to um, being the best possible uh, version of yourself or the best possible team version of your team um, uh, is far more motivating. And the last thing I'll say on that front is that we're working with a. Uh, we work with whole teams in the WHL and, and teams in the AHL and stuff like that as well. And um, a team that's committed to excellent hockey versus beating another team 
mm-hmm. I think goes further. Totally. I think yeah, it, that would scare me. Like mm-hmm. these guys perfectly play the game. Like they're committed to that. Not, not necessarily perfection, but they're committed to that constant progress and evolution of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what separates high performers from meta performers ultimately. Mm-hmm. I think you see that a lot in like any sort of equine discipline, whether, you know, I guess the timed events where you're running against a clock or in the judged events, which is my background, the people that are more focused on creating, you know, bettering themselves every run so that they're getting, you know, either faster or alternatively they're getting higher scores compared to the people that are constantly like, well, so-and-so is always doing this and -and so-and-so is better here. You're right. Like when I look at those two different types of people I'm always more impressed and intimidated by the people that are just challenging themselves rather than comparing themselves to others constantly well and it changes because it's not like it's not like Tiger Woods isn't watching other people yeah or or you know like of course he's he's watching them but he's looking at them differently Uh, comparison there's an old quote I think it's Theodore Roosevelt I don't know Comparison is a thief of joy. You got it. I just said this on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Comparison is. Yeah, good. That's awesome. And and and... pulled that one out of thin air. (laughs) I'm a genius. You're a genius. Yeah, I'm so smart. Everyone tell me how smart I am. There's my gap. I need to be told I'm great at all times. Yeah, well, that's there's a gap right there, right? Um, But I I um comparison comparison for the for the point of learning is different than comparison for the for the point of feeding insecurity. Right. I think comparing yourself to others can be great. If you're trying to like learn what they're doing. 100%. It's why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. If I'm watching other people going, what can I learn from this player? Or Mm -hmm. what can I learn from this competitor? Oh, oh, that's interesting. They do that. Mm -hmm. Versus like, oh, no, they're good. Oh. What does that mean about me? Because it's a, it's a, it comes from a different place from within. And mm-hmm. that's, that's ultimately what we do with the athlete um, is slow the athlete down to get clear about what conversations they're having within about themselves. Mm-hmm. And those conversations are very, very deep and can be there and can really, and it doesn't just show up in sport, it shows up everywhere. So if you notice yourself constantly and chronically insecure and you're constantly comparing yourself, um, even if I took you out of all of that environment, that conversation, yeah, yeah, that would still be there. You would still find a, a, a ammunition to use against yourself. And the question is, is okay. Well, what if we could rewrite that story mm-hmm. and shift that? And, and the good news is, is with with work and with time. And usually we work with athletes for six months to to. Well, I'm I'm work with athletes for years, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's a there's a, a a progression of getting stronger and stronger and stronger mentally. And you notice it. You just notice it. Oh, I'm comparing myself and I'm, I'm nervous. Interesting. I wonder how I could pivot mm-hmm. in this moment. And, and having hooks and, and tools. And we really develop them specifically to the athlete. But they, they all have something in common. It's about taking our fear centers in our brain, which we cannot remove. Mm-hmm. That they're there for survival. Our survival needs, our limbic system, it's there. You're not going to get rid of it. But it's learning to notice it and then learning to channel it. Um, well, so you can notice what you're doing in that moment as it's happening and then begin to pivot. And so, um, I'm trying to remember if I told this story before on the last time that we talked, but, um, did I talk about the goalie and the, and the, the, the crowd that was booing him? No, I don't think so. Okay. So I just, in case I'll keep it short. Uh, I was working with a goaltender and he was in the playoffs and he went, he was traded from one team to another. He was facing his former team 
and heavy mental situation. Yeah, he's facing his former team. Yeah, totally, right? <laughs> Tough. Yeah, absolutely. So he's he's going into an old barn, and the first two games they played, he got blown out. He played really poorly, and the fans booed him in the game. And he made a statement in the media, and essentially the statement was this: "It was I can't believe after all I gave to this other franchise, they would uh, boo me. That they would boo me after like, they loved me. They must dis- like he felt disrespected." Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine what the conversation in his head was. Yeah. It's like, they disrespect me. And I remember hearing that going, whoa, 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 whoa. And I texted him. I was like, hey, can we jump on a call? Mm-hmm. This is a couple years ago. Um, and uh, we got on a call and I was like, hey, can, can we just slow this down? The story in your head right now is that they're booing you because they disrespect you. Mm-hmm. What else could it mean? Which, by the way, is one of the most powerful questions you have. Mm-hmm. is what else could this mean? Um, and we started playing with this. And I asked him, like, what if it meant the opposite? And he was like, what, what do you mean by that? And I said, hey, um, do, do, do a crowd, if, if you were a horrible goaltender, would a crowd boo you? They'd probably cheer every time. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah, they put him in the net. Yeah, yeah. right? Like, it's like, yeah. no, no, no. What if just, and it might not be true, mm-hmm. right? We don't know. But what if in your own mind, every time somebody booed you, it was because they respected you so much they were trying to throw you off and you know that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They were nervous. They were nervous. Yeah, they didn't want you there. And what if that's true? And this is the power of the mind. Like you can, your thoughts, you, you can become your thoughts if you stay with them, mm-hmm. right? And that works both directions, right? Mm-hmm. It can be work for you and also work against you. And it was interesting because the next time he went in, they, they were down, I think they were, the series was tied at that point. But they, he had to go back and play in that rink again. And he played lights out because every time the crowd booed, it refocused his mind. He's mm-hmm. like, they're booing me. They're booing me because I am good at this. Yeah. <laughs> That's right? awesome. And so, and that changes the emotional state and that changes ultimately the outcome. So you can think about an equine athlete walking on, you know, everyone's looking at you. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? We're talking about, yeah, let's say, talking about you just purchased a new horse and everyone's saying, oh, that horse is so good. That horse is so good. You know, you'll never be able to ride that horse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, right? Yeah. So, and it's, or it's, you're telling yourself that people are telling saying yourself that, that exactly. It'd be pretty rude if someone came up to you and said that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'm sure people listening are like, oh, that's happened to me. So, well, and that's the power of, of, and this is, and it's very hard to do this alone. Right. Um, it's hard to do head. search. I've had a, I've had a coach for six years. Um, I, we say this all the time, never hire a coach. There's a lot, you can find lots of coaches out there, mm-hmm. tons of them. Um, but the moment you ask them if, if they have a coach, mm-hmm. if they say no, run. Because mm-hmm. they're not practicing. It's very hard to do surgery on yourself. It's like an athlete. Imagine an athlete without a coach. Yeah. You can get pretty far, but you will not get nearly as far. Because it's very hard to notice your own internal conversation mm-hmm. without practice and without connection to it. Um, so that's one of the biggest things um, that, and I've been working with this particular athlete for over two years. Mm-hmm. And you know he's fine in his way. He's, he's a pro now. Um, you know, he was a high, high prospected athlete and now he's in, he's, he's working on his pro game and, and he's making his way, but it's a, it's an ongoing journey because yeah, those conversations are in our heads are always there. The question is, is do you have something, uh, that helps you disrupt them when they're not serving you? Mm-hmm. Uh, because things can mean anything you want them to mean at some basic level and you can use the power of the conversation in your head 
and slowing it down to reorient the conversation in your head and interrupting the conversation. Just like mm-hmm. you can interrupt me right now and take us on a completely different tangent that creates different emotions, different thoughts, right? Um, and that's the power of, of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. I think this is the other way of putting it to, I, if I started talking about something very sad, mm-hmm. which I could, yeah, uh, right? We were talking earlier about something sad. You would, you would feel all these feelings. Yeah, I feel then you sad. Would think those thoughts. And this is what people, I think, misunderstand is they think if I have a feeling, then I can perform a certain way. But the, uh, the inverse is also true. If you perform a certain way, you can create a feeling. Mm-hmm. If you talk a certain way, if I started talking about um, your next competition and who, what, who would be there and what you would want to do and show up as and where you're at your best and what, what you do as a result of being confident and you had a list of that written out and you went and executed that and you talked about it, you, it's fascinating. You start to feel it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the complaints that I hear from most athletes I work with is I don't feel confident, mm-hmm. which means what? Well, I'm not going to play confident. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating to me. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's reverse it. What if, what if we could just figure out what you look like when you're confident and talk about that and notice the feelings start to follow the speech mm-hmm. just as much as sometimes the speech follows the feeling. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing to understand about the way our mind works. Um, we often think that our feelings lead us and often we let our feelings lead us. But our feelings are fleeting and they change so quickly. So one of the things we want to notice is, well, how can we generate and create different sort of emotional states? Mm-hmm. And we can do that through how we talk. And we can do that through what we do. And that's why routine is so important for athletes in general. Yeah, and you touched on slowing things down and and fear, like being a either a motivator or a hindrance for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think that kind of leads into like prepping yourself for a competition yeah. and for mental game ahead of a competition. Like, is that is that what you would coach someone to do if they're maybe let's say super nervous to compete? Yeah. Yeah. Or nervous to compete, like you're one athlete nervous to compete at a certain venue or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Hundred percent. So one is, um, and this is a very personalized sort of thing, but I can give some general principles to help. Any of anyone listening right now to begin to build that plan for themselves, and and um, if you want to have a further conversation about that, we can help you because it it is a very nuanced thing, athlete to athlete. Very individualized, yeah. Depending on your sport and yeah, what, what your gaps are. Totally, and and what your background is, and and so like if I was talking to a specific athlete listening right now, or to you, Louisa, about it, I would want to know what you're nervous about. Yeah, let's say I'm. I'm heading to a competition. I've never been there before, and it's uh, it's a bigger venue than I've ever competed in. So yeah. I know a lot of people are going to be there that I don't know. So yeah. I'm really nervous. And so within that within that story, mm-hmm. we dig into it. It's like, oh, well, you're nervous because you're making all of those things mean certain things. Right. <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Totally. I felt nervous telling you that story. It's happened to me. <laughs> you're right. So let's play with it. So it's yeah. like, well, I, I wonder. So it's a big venue. What what does that mean in your head? It just means that there's way more people than I'm used to competing in front of. Yeah. Which means what about your performance? Like where does it, where does it naturally take your mind? Right. Like I'm, I want to look good in front of people. Yeah. I'm yeah. more concerned about what other people are thinking of me. Yes. When so I'm that, competing. Great. So there, there's, there's the first, and this is how coaching works, right? Yeah. But there's the first identified gap. It's like, okay, my mind is focused on looking good. Right. My mind is focused on thinking the thoughts of other people. Right. The moment you notice that, you can interrupt it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's that's adorable. <laughs> you know, like that's how cute. Yeah, it's like it's great, and I do it all the time too. It's yeah. like you know, if if and here's an example. Like if I want to look good on this podcast, I can be over analyzing everything I say, 
Mm-hmm. I could be thinking about all the listeners out there. That's a very they, common thing for people that are interviewed to do. Totally. It's, it's like, hard to break through as an interviewer because you have somebody that's like putting up this wall and not really, they're not really being themselves. They're not really giving you a hundred percent because exactly. they're nervous. Yeah, exactly. Do mm-hmm. I seem nervous to you? Yeah, no, no. And this is, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you seem like a, you know, a jerk, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, so whatever it is. Um, I, I, if I focus, and this is so interesting and it's counterintuitive. I tell the staff this all the time. Um, if you focus on the outcome mm-hmm. or the impression that you want to create, you often don't create it. Right. Like if I'm thinking, oh, who's listening to this and will they like it? Will they find it helpful? Do they want to work with our company? Um, um, I won't pay attention to what you're saying. Yeah. And I won't be present with you in the moment and I won't execute the details that actually help me make a great impression or create a great performance. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you want to slow down and notice is what am I paying attention to right, right. now? And ultimately, that's a question of where am I? Mm-hmm. Like, am I am I in the mind of somebody else, or am I in this moment? Mm-hmm. So one of the preparatory. So there's a couple basics, and they're not going to be shocking to your listeners. One of the most powerful things to ground you into your body is breathing. Right. When you're nervous, you you hold your breath. Mm-hmm. It's just neurologically true. Or you breathe shallowly. And so one of the first things that um, uh, any visualization expert will teach you or a meditative, that's, that's where mindfulness and meditation is, is all the rage right now, right? And it's true because it's a neurological reset. It helps you slow down. So one of the things we do is in our, in our um, pre-prep for athletes is we start with building them a customized or even a standardized way of, of, of grounding their mind, slowing it down. Mm-hmm breathing getting connected to their body and and ensuring that they're aware of the thoughts that are that are basically like background music in a in a uh, waiting room right and the background music in a waiting room for your example is there's a lot of people there and i'm making that mean oh i might choke yeah i don't want to look bad in front i don't want to look bad so i want to yeah i want to win yeah i want to yeah. win i want to win and i want to look good i want to look good right so what else what else could it mean Let's just play with it for a second. Louisa, do you mind if I put you on no, the No, no, totally. Uh, I'm trying to go back to my, my old washed out days of showing. Um, <laughs> I love the self-deprecation. Yeah, I'm like, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it could mean like I've shown at uh, like bigger, larger venues and it was exciting because it was a better environment. Usually the ground's better. Usually the cows are pretty good. There's more help there. Like it's a really, when you start to step up in those environments, it's a lot more fun because there's. There's just a lot. It's a better situation usually. So, so I just want to stop you for a second. Yeah. What do you notice about how you feel? I'm excited. I'm like, I want to go back there. Yeah. And <laughs> notice that when we started the conversation, yeah. you weren't. Yeah. I was scared. I was nervous. Base, and all we did was we pivoted. Well, what, how could the, and I ask this question to athletes all the time. How could this event be for you? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the catastrophe, we use this word, catastrophe. I can't even say it now. <laughs> catastrophic? So we say, yeah, catastrophic, but we, there's a term for it. It's, it's catastrophization. That's the word I was trying to find. Right. You're so making something a major situation. Our, yeah, our brain is programmed to identify threats. So, and that's hardwired. You're not going to get rid of that. We haven't evolved out of that yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's good when you're on the Serengeti and there's a lion. Like you want to be able to go, oh, I might get eaten, climb a tree, right? Um, as opposed to slowing down and noticing, oh, my brain is catastrophizing. It's doing that thing. We all do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's answering a fund- fundamental question in our mind, which is um, what could go wrong? Mm-hmm. That's where your mind is fixated. But all we do is we start to pivot it towards, well, what could go right? Mm-hmm. How is this moment for you? How, how could this be on? How could, be, how could a large crowd be, be a good thing? Mm-hmm. 
right? And most people don't slow down and ask themselves questions like that. Right. They just get stuck in the in the, the rut of panic. Um, and so it's about grounding yourself in, in different types of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and it's difficult to do that alone. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, what ends up happening, I text some of my players every day before games. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, what thoughts are powerful for you right now? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're, you know, I'm distracted by this, this, and this. Great. And we both know what that means because we talked about it, right? We know why that's an attractive thought. And in the, in the sport world, I'll use another analogy that I use with a lot of our athletes. It's basically like uh, mental junk food. It tastes really good to be panicked. Mm-hmm. It tastes really good to worry. Yeah. It's like a short-term way of feeling in control. Mm-hmm. It's ironic how much we worry about things um, that are completely out of our control. And by worrying about them, there's almost like a, a, a neurological payoff. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I feel, I feel a bit better because at least I'm thinking about it. But when you're thinking about something you can't control, what are you not thinking about? Right. The things you can control. The details. Yeah. It's the like, small things. Yeah. But, and the little things that actually can bring peace and calm into the situation of right. like, okay, I'm going to make sure my saddle's correct. Mm-hmm. And just, I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to enjoy this moment. I'm going to see how these things could be actually for me mm-hmm. and, and see what emotional states I can begin to create. And I want you to notice even earlier, you, you literally shifted from yeah, a, a nervous did. emotional state to an excited I feel like coaching state. is a weird, it's like a weird magic trick. <laughs> it's, yeah, I know. Eh? I'm like, don't and, catch me on my mental well, <laughs> shifts. And, and, and it comes out of a, a, a belief that, or a, a philosophical understanding or grounding that we use of ownership. Mm-hmm. Most people do not take ownership over their emotions. Yeah, well, for and for me, I was picturing two totally different situations where both of those things occurred. Like I remember them very, very vividly. So, and I, I'll ask they were athletes. Real. Yeah, and I ask athletes all the time, like visualize your best performance. Mm-hmm. And what did that experience? What was it like? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can smell it. They can remember. It's a, yeah. it's very visceral. Then if I ask them to visualize the worst performance they ever had, they can think of that too. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, the brain is so good at um, picking something and going with it. Um, you just got to pick, you got to choose what you're going to, you got to put the options in front of you and then begin to choose which ones are going to serve you most powerfully. And that's where people are, uh, um, mentally that muscle's not very strong mm-hmm. because often like we're on autopilot, mm-hmm. um, and we just let the limbic system run us you know, or the stress, you know, our adrenal gland and the cortisol, all that, all that adrenaline, you know, those hormones are coursing and those, those, those chemicals are coursing through our body and it makes our, our, our upper brain, which is our responsible for all the higher functioning decisions, logical reasoning, all the things that actually help performance. It, it's, it really shifts down into the lower part of our brain, which is all designed to respond to stress and survival. Mm-hmm. And in survival mode, you don't usually make really good decisions unless your life is actually being threatened. Yeah. Unless you're actually being chased by a lion. A lion. And the problem is, is a lot of people go into competition in that mindset, like they really emotionally, it feels like they could die. Yeah. And that (laughs) I'll tell you right now, most players, most athletes do not perform well when they're scared. Totally. And so if you're an athlete out there and you're feeling a lot of fear before Mm -hmm. competition, um, there are ways to get out of that. There are definitely ways to get out of that. And it has to do with reorienting the conversation you're having in your head Mm -hmm. and really building out a plan. Um, so, uh, sorry, I, I realize we're kind of rambling. I, I tend to do that, <laughs> but, um, as far as a, 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 like a staged preparatory plan for competition, one is to get really clear on who you're And this is, we talk about this a lot in this space, who you're committed to being as a competitor mm-hmm. and writing that out. 
and then visualizing it. Do some breathing, visualize it. Think about moments when you were that way and then think about yourself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can incorporate, if you want to take meditation to a, a deeper level, there's a book that uh, is fantastic written by a, a meditation teacher who taught the Chicago Bulls. Mm-hmm. He worked with uh, Michael Jordan and when they did the three-peat twice, right? And, he, and it's just a book on meditation. It, it, it's, um, uh, and, and really slowing, and essentially all meditation is at this point uh, in, the, in the athlete's journey, um, it's, it's less spiritual and a lot more focused towards just noticing your thinking, notice mm-hmm. what thoughts come into your head, and then what are you going to do with it? And slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that meditative breathing, slowing down, even if it's five minutes of visualization, and then, and then connecting to those emotions mm-hmm. in the conversation. And you'll notice uh, it's fascinating. I'll work with athletes who before a competition or in a day, they're, they're in the dumps, they're feeling negative. We close our eyes, we do some visualization, we talk through conversations of uh, who they're committed to being as a competitor. And they, after five to 10 minutes, they feel great. Mm-hmm. They're ready to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And it, it can change that quickly. Um, but, but those plans and those, those, uh, those preparatory steps often are nuanced. They're different for different athletes. Mm-hmm. Some athletes want to go into a competition a little bit, little bit angry, a little yeah. bit chip on their shoulder. And that yeah. works really well for them. They want to be, able, yeah, feel tough or whatever. Yeah. They want to have that, like, I'm going to, I'm like, that guy's not going to win. It's like, okay, if that works for you, great. Let's build that in. We don't want too much of that. Cause an angry athlete, an over angry athlete doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but that's where it is a little nuanced to the athlete. Yeah. And depending totally. on what they want to do. Um, and yeah, and you spoke about kind of the process. It's so individualized. It takes time, you yeah. know, kind of at least, what would you say, like six months of working with someone? When do you start seeing like shifts and... We see, and you probably would get this, we see immediate shifts in performance. Yeah. The, the um, like I, I've, when I was working with one team, particularly the GM would call me and I would do one session with a player. And if the, if the player was in the dump, you know, he wasn't playing well, usually one conversation could get you out Quickly, in that moment. But consistency is a different conversation. Consistency takes time. And this space is a lot like going to the gym. If you go once, you know, you, you, you might you might feel good. You might probably not feel good. You feel like sore, sore. and yeah. horrible. And <clears throat> but the point is is over time you build that mental strength. And it's and it is kind of like going to the gym. When you stop putting time into that type of training, you do lose that strength. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but if you continue to use the patterns and the tools and you regularly are engaging in them, um, those muscles stay strong. So uh, we tend, I tend to work, uh, well, and our coaches, we have coaches who work with lots of different athletes. So we tend to work with athletes a minimum of six months. Um, you see results pretty quickly, um, but it's, it's not about that initial result because the human brain is, loves novelty. So one of the problems that um, I'm sure all your, all the listeners out there have experienced that where something has worked and then it doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, it worked for a while. Well, it's because our brains are dynamic and they're changing. Mm-hmm. And part of the process is, is continuing to reinvent the things that stabilize. So the routine um, can be that safety net that creates that. Uh, I, I'm thinking of um, uh, Lidstrom uh, in Detroit and the athletes would players who played with him would say you knew you could literally measure time by him because he would, you could find him in exactly the same place, exactly the same time on a game day. His routine was just very clear, clear. And, and it wasn't about, um, it was about getting him into that proper mental headspace. And so, um, you want to develop that version of it, but every once in a while, novelty is really important to get into what, what psychologists call a flow state. Mm-hmm. Um, the fast, and I'll tell you this, there's a book called the rise of the Superman, which is all about flow state. 
Um, and in the book, it, you don't need to read it unless you're interested in this kind of stuff. But it's, a, it's an interesting book. But in the book, um, the fastest way to get to a flow state is to get into a life-threatening situation, which is why most flow state research is done on action sport athletes. So right. guys who are serving, surfing big waves, that they could literally die or base jumping. Right? They get into flow state immediately because there's a life-threatening thing. And the one thing they discovered with flow state is an important ingredient of flow state is novelty. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be – you want to have a routine, but you also want to be changing things up a little bit because your brain, your brain likes to, to learn something new. And that's why a lot of hockey players, you know, they'll play um, – I can't remember what they call it, but essentially they kick a soccer ball around. And it's competitive and it's fun and they don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's good for the brain. It warms the brain up um, uh, to that. So, but yeah, I, I, um, uh, I have been working with a coach for, for six years, both in an executive like leadership business side, which is, that's the other piece of what we do. And it's a totally different conversation, but for the athlete, it's an ongoing process. And really it's just like their physical body. It, it never ends until they want to stop until mm-hmm. they want to stop working out or they stop want to achieving specific results. And then I've had some athletes who, you know, they work, you work with somebody for a while and then they take a break, they take the tools and they run and then they come back and we rebuild something new um, as we go. So um, that's usually how we structure it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot. What are some book recommendations? You've mentioned a couple here. Yeah. What are your like top three books for athletes? Yeah. Well, and actually, you're a book guy. I am a book guy. <laughs> um, and I actually, I suck at reading books, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. I love books. I'm a book guy. I listen to books. Um, yeah. I find I, that's I the most helpful. Too. I'm an audio person auditory learner well and i think for a lot of athletes are on the road a lot yeah driving. yeah so audible is a great audible is a huge yeah. i i would highly recommend that um i've read a lot of books there's a lot of great books out there um the problem with most athletes and i'll say this is not knowledge it's application right so read go read books they're great apply it and you and the reason why coaching is so effective is it's an application mechanism. Mm-hmm. You learn, but you apply more. Mm-hmm. So a couple books right off the top, uh, depending on what type of athlete you are. Um, there's a classic, a few classics that a lot of athletes pass around. I would recommend, this is actually a good combination of the work, the type of coaching we do, and uh, a sport book. It's called The Inner Game of Tennis. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a short read. It's an older book. Um, he actually has a, a number of books, The Inner Game of Work, The Inner Game of Chess, I think is another one. But The Inner Game of Tennis is, is uh, the kind of the seminal work. And it's, it's a good hybrid book around um, this work. The other book that I would recommend that's not an athlete book that I give to a lot of my athletes, which helps people understand this type of coaching, uh, is called The Three Laws of Performance. And it's a business book, um, but it also talks about this. For the other athlete books, Mindful Athlete, I mentioned that already can find that um that's more about meditative practice and breathing and really getting that side of your game uh dialed in and then there's a couple other ones mind gym um mm-hmm. and these are more books that are more um they're more general it's like mental performance guys who've worked with with athletes over time uh and and then there's a there's there's another one um can i i don't know if i can swear on the air here you can swear okay so the book is called the brave athlete calm the fuck down <laughs> <laughs> I've never it's, heard of that one. It's got it's got like asterisks in yeah. the title. Um uh uh and uh yeah, it, that's the name of the book. It's written and it's a really interesting book because it's written by uh, a world champion triathlete and it's more for long distance athletes, but it's written by a world champion triathlete and her husband who's a neuroscientist. Oh, and so it's got a lot of neuroscience in it and it's also got like application in it. And again, you're going to read a book like that. There's going to be so much helpful stuff in it, but most people don't know how to apply it. And that's mm-hmm. where coaching is one of the more powerful tools you can add to your arsenal because mm-hmm. the knowledge is, is you can find a million uh, videos on YouTube on this stuff, but how do you apply it? How do you apply it specifically to you? That's, that's the, that's the, the, um, the difficult conversation that people 
struggle to navigate on their mm-hmm. own. So I would highly advocate, go read some of those books, but talk to a coach because it'll speed all that process up mm-hmm. quite a bit more quickly. And we'll put Novus Global's info and your info in the show notes. But if someone wants to reach out to you or your company, how would they do that? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, we we do uh, what we call intake calls uh, or exploratory calls. Those are always free. Um, we don't charge for them. And that's to get a sense of uh, what you want to accomplish. Um, and we have a lot of different coaches in our company. And so we, we uh, who work at various levels of price and different levels of packages. Um, so we've really made it intentional to make it, coaching as accessible to all different levels of athletes. Um, and we work with athletes as young as 14 year olds, uh, all the way up to pros. And so I, if you're interested and want to have a conversation with us about your athletic performance or the other side of it, which is like, if you're trying to grow something or scale something on the business side, we do that as well. Mindset kind of applies in everything we do. So, um, uh, feel free to email me directly, uh, and I can either, uh, get you connected to one of our coaches in our company. Um, all our coaches are trained in the same type of coaching, mm-hmm. uh, and the guys who were and girls who work in our firm, um, who work with athletes, uh, are ones that work very closely with me. So we do share, uh, quite a bit of information around best practice and how to really leverage that. And we're constantly learning too. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is brain science is still a very new science. And um, we know a lot more than we did 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, we thought the brain was fixed. It's not fixed. It's mm-hmm. constantly, we can change, we can grow. So um, we're constantly refining our tools as we work with athletes. So if you're interested in that, want to have a, a conversation with one of one of us, we can definitely get that uh, on the books for you. Feel free to email me. Um, or they can email you, Luis, and I'm sure you can, you yeah, can, um, that's true. My email, I'm very along. available on the social medias. You can find me. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're, and, and, um, I can right. forward an email along. That's easy <laughs> yeah, enough. Exactly. I know how to do that. I'm a millennial. Yeah. As, as technically am I, which is weird. Uh, <laughs> I know. See, that's the thing with 82, this whole millennial concept. It's like 82. I, yeah. It's a weird, that, that's, that's, I strange. actually, I, I'm not a huge fan of the, well, that's a whole other conversation. Well, and I'm, and I'll say this right the now. The age constructs yeah. around different, like the boomers and stuff. Oh, well, and this is what's um, so interesting is I coach people. I, I have some clients who are in their 60s and I'm, I'm in my mid 30s and um, mindset. It's universal. Transcends age category and, <laughs> yeah. and insecurity or those thoughts, those things that we're, we're battling in our minds alone. Um, uh, but coaching is about the future. What do you want to create in the future of that? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's been, it's been really fun to watch. Um, and I'll just kind of tell one more story. Yeah. Um, so one of our coaches, this isn't me, um, uh, worked with, so if anybody is a hockey fan, uh, world juniors this last year, did mm-hmm. you watch the tournament at all? No. no. Oh no. Well, you no know, problem. We won, right? Yeah. Canada won. won yeah. Well, it was a big thing, wasn't it? I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw her- some things on the news. I'm a bad Canadian. So, I'm not a huge hockey fan. Yeah. No, it's no problem. I it, like going to hockey. It just games. means you're a horrible Canadian. Drinking right? yeah, saddle beer. Yeah. It's and it's good, right? Um, but I uh, I was at um, so I remember the tournament, uh, and if you watched the tournament, you would have known that. Um, so one of our athletes was on Team Canada cool. and um, working not with me, with one of our other coaches, David Gerber, who's a really good coach. He's worked with some NFL guys. And um, we talked about his meta performance goals in the summer. And this is an athlete I'm connected to, too. And um, you'll be able to figure it out based on what I'm about to tell you, um, who it is. And um, we uh, we set in the, in the summer, I was like, what would be a meta performance goal for him? What's a goal that's beyond high performance? Something that you think you could be capable of, but you're not sure how to do. And he said, I want to be on, I want to be the starting goaltender for the junior world tournament and win a gold medal. 
And that was in the summer of this past summer. And he had not been invited to the, the camp, the training camp Ooh. in the summer. <laughs> Big goal. Yeah. So it's like, you're not even on the radar. Yeah. And what kind of, so we, he worked with David and, and we had some conversations about it too. Of like, what kind of season would you have to have for that to happen? For them to notice you. For them to notice you. How would you play yourself onto that team? And, and, and so we broke it down and then we got it real simple. We forgot about the long-term goal. We already had it. And we got down to the details of what's the mindset of each game. How's, how do you need to approach each game to really ground yourself in the details, not to be distracted by your stats or by the shot count, any of those things. And um, he, he had an exceptional beginning of the season. He was the third goaltender invited to, um, I guess he would have been the second goaltender invited to camp. This is Joel Hofer. And what ended up happening in the tournament was he was his second goalie. He played one of the uh, exhibition games. Um, they started another goalie for the first couple games. He faltered and Joel was ready. Joel got that opportunity. He had the mindset. He'd been practicing it over the, the six months before working with David. And um, I remember talking to him overseas when he was in Europe playing. Um, this is right before the tournament started. He's like, yeah, I know I'm not the starter, but I know I might get an opportunity, so I'm going to be ready. And he put the team um, uh, on his back, and there were some games he played really well, some games that were you know, not his best, but he still played very, very well. And uh, he, he walks around with a gold medal now. That's and, awesome. And like, that's an example of what can happen when you create a space for those types of conversations. And so... Um, Joel and Joel's a great guy, man. He's a, mm-hmm. and now, and now he's, you know, now he's learning to live with success, which is an even more difficult challenge. Sometimes it's the enemy of future success is often the current or uh, the current success. And mm-hmm. so, so for him, it's like now he has to get to, he gets to play this next level of the video game. And that's that a lot of that. Most of it is a mental thing. Um, he has the talent. And so if you're, if you're an athlete out there and you're, you're wanting to take your, your, your performances to the next level and you're like, yeah, it's the mental side. It's get in my way. Um, reach out. We, we love to help. Uh, and we love to see, we love to tell stories like that. Um, uh, and we, we're, we're growing our bank account of stories. It's pretty cool to watch that. So, That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Dan, I need to let you go. I've taken way too much of your time. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was a privilege to be here. And, uh, anytime, Louisa. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Big thanks again to Dan Leffelar for coming back on the Riding to Excellence podcast produced by Energy Equine. As always, we so appreciate Dan's insight, and we know it is a little different than your quote-unquote vet-focused podcast that we tend to do, uh, the vet med type stuff, but we think that it is super impactful for our clients, and obviously we love to see you guys excelling in all aspects, not only of the health and wellness of your horses, but the competitive side of things too, and so much of it is up to us. We love how insightful all of our clients are. We love hearing your stories and how things like this can help you. So if you like podcasts like this from us, let us know. Uh, if there's certain topics that you want us to touch on, please feel free to comment on our Facebook posts about these podcasts. We do have a list growing of different topics that people have sent us and we're going to try to work through them this year. So if there's something on your mind that you really want to hear in podcast format, don't be afraid to shoot us an email at eeoffice at energyequine.ca or you can DM us on Facebook, Energy Equine Veterinary Services, or even the Instagrams, Energy Equine. We're very available and we want to hear from you and what you guys want to hear from us. We are super stoked to announce that our last episode was our most listened to thus far, optimizing 
your gut health is our number one listen to podcast with Dr. Chad Hewlett and Dr. Travis Kelter. So big thanks to you guys. Huge leap in numbers from the previous podcast. So we must have found some new friends and new followers through the pod. So that's always exciting. Welcome. If this is your first time listening to our podcast or the last episode was, I should say. We love new listeners and definitely shoot us a message and say hi. I know on that podcast, we promised you a follow-up podcast on supplements and ones we like and why and we promise we're going to get that to you we had some serious scheduling conflicts dr travis kelter was in kansas for the international veterinary chiropractic association program options for animals he is currently going through his certification to become an animal chiropractor and dr chad hewlett took a well-deserved vacation in hawaii with his family so if you guys see chad on the road in the next couple weeks you can Hackle and and uh, tease him for not getting to your podcast because he was on a beach somewhere. But anyways, we are planning on recording that in the next coming weeks and we will get that to you as soon as we can. So stay tuned for that. Okay, I think that's all I have for you guys. Have a wonderful day and we will see you all very soon.